We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. All right, thank you for singing tonight. Good to be able to do that together. Let's open our Bibles, please, to the New Testament now for our Scripture reading tonight. Back in the book of Romans, long last, we can review this portion of the word. All right, Romans chapter 1 says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God in power, or with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him... We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Also, Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, 
They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Such is the rather dim view that the Bible has of the natural man. And so we need to be regenerated so we can get out of that boat with the rest. Amen. Well, that's our scripture reading. Back to the beginning of our series. We uh, trust that you'll be blessed now as we look into the Word of God in First Timothy with Brother Jansen Lorch. So if you'd turn there in your scriptures and welcome him to the pulpit, we'd be glad to have you, brother. Thank you. Good evening to those who are here. Thank you for that. It is an encouragement to our hearts to gather with you. And um, for those who are online, we also welcome you as well. Pray that you'll be edified by our looking into the Word of God this evening. As Pastor mentioned, we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll pick up right where we left off last time, which is in verse 3. Although I'll just remind us for a moment uh, where we started last week as we began a new series, uh, leaving our series on evangelism for the time being and going on to something else. And um, as I said last time, I decided, well, we, we left off in our evangelism series in 1 Timothy, so we'll just back up a chapter and begin at the beginning of, of the epistle And that's what we did last week. And we looked at verses 1 and 2, which are really just the greeting to Timothy, the recipient of the letter. Paul identifies himself as the author in verse 1. And we made mention that what Paul is doing here is establishing the authority by which he's going to then charge Timothy to instruct those who are teaching false doctrine to to stop, as well as other instructions that we see in the, uh, the letter here. And the basis for this authority comes from the fact that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is, by the commandment of God, who is our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, an apostle, a sent one, a messenger, representing Jesus Christ and teaching the words of Christ to, uh, to all who will hear and believe. And it's on that basis, then, that Timothy can go as a representative of Paul and instruct the church in Ephesus to to listen to these words and to heed the instructions which he's going to give them, as we'll see in the rest of the letter. We also noted that uh, Paul addresses Timothy as a true son in the faith, whether by uh, the fact that he was a convert of Paul's or simply the fact that he is in the same kind of faith, the sphere of faith in which Paul lives um, either way, the fact is is that this is the way Timothy is identified as being a true son in the faith. And we spoke about uh, the kind of reputation Timothy had, one of godliness, uh, one of, of uh, an upstanding character, so much so that Timothy was entrust, or Paul was entrusting to Timothy a very important task, which we'll read about and uh, consider in our time this evening. And then finally, we saw in the end of verse 2 that Paul uh, gives his typical kind of greeting of blessing, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And we, I said last week that I think uh, this is a, a kind of uh, a lesson we can learn is that we can invoke God to bless others in this way, to invoke God to bring about his grace and mercy and peace upon those who are in the faith Of course, we've all received some measure of grace and mercy and peace in the very fact that he has saved us in that initial kind of saving faith. But as we go along in our journey, we we know well that we need his continual grace and mercy when we sin, when we fall short. We need his peace in times of trial and trouble. Uh, We need all of these things in our lives, and, and they come from God. This evening, though, we'll turn our attention to the next few verses, and I had in my mind that we'd at least get through verse 7 
But as I uh, kind of wrote my notes, I was becoming very uh, aware of the fact that we may not make it further than verse 4, but that's okay. Lord willing, we'll have time again to to turn to uh, this epistle and look into the next few verses as the Lord permits. But let me read to you um, verses 3 through 7 to capture, I think, what is the kind of paragraph uh, that we'll be looking into, and then we'll see how much of it we get to this evening. But beginning in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, As I urged you when I went to, into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Now, Paul was endowed with power and authority from Jesus Christ himself. We said that. And so as he writes to Timothy on the basis of this authority from God and the Lord Jesus Christ, well, we can understand then that when Paul is charging Timothy to go, or in this case to remain in Ephesus and to, and to instruct uh, these fellows who are, who are swerving from uh, the the sound doctrine, that Timothy, too, had a similar kind of authority um, on the basis of, of coming, uh, receiving this word from Paul. As an apostolic representative of Paul, Timothy would be able to speak authoritatively to the church, and it would be expected that the church and its leadership would listen to what Timothy had to say, based on uh, the fact that these words were coming from Paul, who was an apostle of Christ. In verses 3 through 7, Paul, we see, instructs Timothy to address the false teachers in the church here in Ephesus who were teaching unsound doctrine, speculating about matters which were unimportant in creating division in the church. And even we see in verse 6 and 7, they were speaking what is considered idle talk and desiring to be teachers of the law, but not understanding the things they were teaching. And uh, that's a very, very uh, dangerous circumstance and situation when you have someone pretending to know something but really speaking ignorantly. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't put up with that in our school system, people, you know, speaking uneducated. And, and, you know, and more importantly then, we should not be putting up with such kind of teaching in the church. We should make sure that those who are uh, teaching are teaching soundly that they understand what they're teaching and of course uh, we understand we always need to learn more and sometimes uh, we don't speak as educated as we should meaning we aren't as studied in the word of God as we ought to be but still we ought to be careful to guard the pulpit uh, for those who are teaching sound doctrine and understand what they are teaching <clears throat> Such kind of teaching out of ignorance or teaching what is not sound doctrine or teaching on matters which are unimportant to the local church and to godly edification has no place in the local church. As we see, even in verse 3, this kind of teaching only leads to disputes rather than godly edification. So Paul's concern here for sound teaching in the church in Ephesus is evident in that he charges Timothy to remain there for the time being to address the issue which Paul, while Paul went on to Macedonia to probably do other ministry there. Now, the Bible does not provide us with any kind of specific details on Paul's travels after his first Roman imprisonment. But a normal reading of the text would indicate that Paul was with Timothy in Ephesus and then left him there while he traveled north and west to Macedonia. Now, we know that Paul had traveled to Macedonia before. 
but not uh, necessarily from Ephesus. Rather, he traveled through Galatia and then on to Macedonia, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10 tell us that. We won't go there. That's just for our knowledge of sake of knowledge about, you know, his travels. So it's likely not in this instance that where, you know, the context is set. It's not Acts chapter 16 here that Paul is referring to this travel here. Um, in Acts chapter 16, uh, that passage there, that was right at the time when he first had picked up Timothy as a ministry apprentice or, you know, kind of a, a pupil. And so it's likely not the case that this is uh, when Paul is referring to that, that timeline. Later, though, we do see that Paul uh, left Ephesus from Macedonia in Acts chapter 20. But uh, the Bible text there tells us that Timothy was traveling with Paul to Macedonia. So here again, uh, like Acts chapter 16, it's probably not the case that this is the instance that Paul is referring to here in verse 3. Likely then, 1 Timothy was written at another time, a uh, perhaps later time, which we believe was after Paul's first Roman imprisonment. And so that's why we don't see the kind of details here about you know, when he was writing it, but it was likely after that first Roman imprisonment sometime in AD 60. So Paul, upon his decision to travel up to Macedonia, recognized that some in the church needed to be set straight. And for whatever case, perhaps there was another pressing ministry in Macedonia. He couldn't stay and and, uh, resolve the situation himself, and so he left it to the capable hands of his young apprentice, Timothy. We see here that Timothy was instructed by Paul to remain there because of false teaching being taught in the church. And he was sent, or he was uh, charged to remain there to command them to stop uh, this kind of practice in teaching in the church. Now, like I just said, Paul obviously felt that Timothy was capable of doing this, addressing the problem in the church. Otherwise, he would have stayed or he would have, you know, come back as quickly as possible, but instead he left Timothy uh, to resolve the issue and to take charge there. Timothy had traveled with Paul. We know that from even Acts 20, which we just uh, spoke about. And he was a student of Paul and would have likely seen Paul admonish people in other churches along their journeys. And so he would have learned from Paul the kind of manner in which he should have should address the situation, the kinds of you know, uh, the kind of uh, rebuke that he should give and the way in which he should give it. And so uh, Paul thought Timothy quite capable to, to take up the reins here and, and rebuke those who were spreading false teaching. Now, it does seem that Paul had already addressed some of those who were guilty of this teaching of false doctrine, and we see this in, in verse 20 of the same chapter. Um, I'll just begin back in 18, actually, 1 Timothy 1.18. Paul writes this. Uh, he says, This charge I commit to you, uh, which is likely the charge that we, you know, he gives in verse uh, 3. He says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith in a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul um, seems to then have already addressed some of the issues going on here in the church by uh, delivering to Satan Hymenaeus and Alexander, who were blaspheming, speaking false doctrine concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, And so Paul had already started to attack this issue in the church, but again, for whatever reason, had to to, uh, leave and uh, leave it to Timothy to to take care of uh, the remaining issue there. It also is worth noting that Paul probably was not completely surprised at the infiltration of this false teaching in the church in Ephesus because he warned the church in Ephesus of the, the possibility of this happening in Acts chapter 20, and I'll uh, invite you to turn there, Acts chapter 20, in verses 29 and 30. 
Um, I'll begin in verse 29, but let me just mention, just so we can set the context, it says in verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church and when he uh, when they had come to him, he said to them, and then he goes on, you know, to uh, to explain what was said. And, and picking up in verse twenty nine, it says, "For I know this that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves." Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul, you know, back at the beginning here of the church and having now seen the elders be established in the church, warns them of the possibility and almost, you know, putting it in a way that, you know, this is to be expected, that wolves will come in from the outside and also there will be some from among you that will rise up and speak perverse things, things that are contrary to the doctrine which Paul had first set forth to them. And now here it is. We see in the letter to 1 Timothy that what Paul predicted and told was a possibility is is now happening in the church. As I said, Paul calls out Hymenaeus and Alexander, we see this in chapter 1, verse 20, as examples of those whose faith was shipwrecked and who began to cause trouble in the church by spreading perverse doctrine or false teaching. Perhaps these two, Hymenaeus and Alexander, were kind of the ringleaders of this group of of men and perhaps women who were uh, teaching false doctrine, spreading uh, false teaching in the church. And now that Paul has removed these two from the assembly, having handed them over to Satan, or in a sense, you know, what that means is treating them as unbelievers, casting them out from the assembly, treating them as if they were no longer believers with the desire and end goal of seeing them repent, uh, but the possibility of them never doing that. And so having done that, as we said, he leaves Timothy to charge the rest of those who are spreading the false teacher teaching in the church to to stop doing this. Now, the specific charge that Paul gives Timothy is to charge some to teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. We see that in in verse 3 and the beginning of verse 4. The leadership of the church has the responsibility to call on anyone who is teaching false teaching to cease and to desist. The word command here is a strong word calling for stern orders. This was, you know, no options, no questions asked. This was what was to happen, that he was to command them to stop, to cease, and to desist from spreading this false teaching. Now, I know, and Pastor knows even more than I do, that there are many enjoyable aspects of being in the ministry. It is a high calling and it is a blessing to serve in the ministry, but in situations like this, it is not so enjoyable. But at the same time, it is a very important aspect of this calling because the leadership of the church is responsible for the care and the protection of the flock. And so the leadership is to identify outside infiltrators or those who are wolves in sheep's clothing, rising up from within, trying to to pull some away and to promote their own teaching rather than what is sound and from God's word. Now, you may say the presence of any kind of false teaching at Fellowship Bible Church is unfathomable. It could never happen here, you say. I bet the Ephesians were probably saying the same thing in Acts chapter 20 when Paul warned them of the possibility. No, 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 it'll never happen here. But here we are in 1 Timothy, and Paul is addressing that very issue. We ought to not be so ignorant or prideful, however you want to look at it, in thinking that 
It's, it's unfathomable, impossible for it to happen here. We hope it never does, but we must be ready as the leadership, but also as the, as the body of Christ to recognize and to quickly snuff out any, any sign of false teaching. Now, any other doctrine other than that uh, which was taught by the apostles, or contrary to the doctrine that the church was instructed by Paul, was uh, to be rebuked. Timothy was to administer a course correction in the church by commanding the false teachers not to teach heterodox teaching. That is, not to teach uh, contrary to the standard of instruction that had been given to them from the beginning by the apostles. Now, the word heterodox comes from two, wor- two roots, meaning another or different belief. The same word uh, is used in chapter 6, verse 3, where the motivations of false teachers are given. And let me read that to you just, just now, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul writes this in chapter 6, verse 3, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, uh, reviling, evil uh, suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdrawal yourselves. It's really uh, just an expansion of the kind of charge that Paul is giving here in, in verses 3 and 4, uh, wherein you know there are those who are uh, creating disputes by veering away from what is sound to that which is contrary to the instructions they had received from Paul in the beginning. That which was sound, that which was the, were the commandments of Christ. Paul also uses the same kind of word uh, root in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, and I'll just read that to you and you may remember, though it's been a while now, um, you know, I'd, we led a series in Galatians, and we read from the very beginning that Paul was speaking to a church which had, had been drawn away to a different kind of gospel, which actually was not a gospel at all, Paul writes. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, just getting right to the point after his greeting, and he writes, Here to the church, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, a heterodox gospel, a different kind of gospel, which is not another, Paul writes, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So we see here in Galatians 1, 6, and 7 that Paul addresses the same kind of problem of false teaching in the church in Galatia, wherein some are deserting the true gospel for a different kind of gospel, another gospel that is not of the same kind which Paul had given to them in the beginning. Not, of course, that there is any other gospel that saves. Really, it's not a gospel at all. It's man's thinking, man's you know pondering, his, his philosophy, um, and not from uh, not sound doctrine. Now, the command to teach no other doctrine is to forbid any kind of heterodox teaching, any kind of uh, wrong teaching. Instead, the leadership of the church was to instruct the church in what is orthodox, that is, what is right belief. Perhaps this would have required Timothy to then re-instruct the church in uh, Ephesus on what was, in fact, orthodox. Of course, they had already received sound doctrine from, uh, from Paul. We see this in Acts chapter 19, 1 to 40, and Acts chapter 20, 17 to 38. 
It's not like they got off on the wrong footing at all. They had received what was right and true and sound faith and practice in the beginning. Paul was very particular to walk them through and to instruct them on what was what the true gospel was and and most likely instructed them on on um, you know what right practice in the church looked like. Probably you know took the elders and trained them in some sense on what was sound, but. Regardless of that, they had somehow swerved away from that into false teaching. So perhaps Timothy had to re-instruct them on some of uh, the matters of what was right belief. Even though they had received sound doctrine from Paul, perhaps having had their ears filled with lies and errors, it would have taken some time and the help of Timothy to get straightened out to the point of being able to discern truth from error. You know, maybe the perfect example is just uh, the media today. And if you indoctrinate yourself with, you know, all the media, you start to get turned all around and, you know, what's right, what's wrong, you know, and all you hear is, you know, one kind of philosophy and, and then maybe you hear the other and, you know, if you're not grounded in what is true and you don't know what the actual facts are, you begin to not be able to discern what's right and what's wrong. And so it's likely that in a similar kind of way, the church in Ephesus, even though they had received from the beginning what was true and right, had gotten so mixed up that they were not able by themselves to discern uh, what was right and what was, what was wrong. This is quite often the testimony of people who have left one church that is not teaching sound doctrine and, and gone to another church. Perhaps, you know, they've left the, the, uh, the Catholic faith. If Mike were here, he would probably be nodding his head at this. And they've come to a sound Bible church, and all of a sudden they realize, they look back, you know, retrospectively, and they see, wow, I didn't even realize all the false teaching that was going on, you know, in that setting. Or perhaps they've come out of, uh, you know, Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism or some other kind of, of cult. And, you know, their eyes are just opened you know, maybe they knew there were some things in that, you know, that setting that were, uh, you know, I don't really agree with that, but it's not until they get to a place where they realize what the true sound doctrine is that they realize the amount of error and false teaching that was being, you know, fed them in that prior setting. They were so wrapped up, perhaps, in that church that it took a while to kind of entangle themselves from that mess. And I would say this, for those people coming from those kind of situations, we need to address them and and open our arms with grace and patience towards them. We ought to be gracious to people who come from such circumstances, especially if they have a teachable spirit and are truly seeking the truth. It may take a while to entangle the cords of that false teaching, But with much patience and with the teaching that they need, they can get to a place where they recognize that uh, some of the things they're believing in are not sound doctrine. And we need to be patient with them and instruct them and help them uh, uh, entangle themselves by teaching them the, uh, the word of God, instructing them in it, showing them from Scripture what is true and what is error. So Timothy is charged to address them, to command certain people to stop, to cease and desist from teaching heterodox doctrine. And he's also charged to tell them to stop giving heed, we see in verse 4, to fables and endless genealogies. The words give heed mean to pay attention to or be concerned about. The same Greek word is used in Titus 1.14 concerning Jewish myths and commandments from men. Let me read that to you. We're close by to the book of Titus, and so I'll read that for you just now. First, or excuse me, Titus chapter 1, verse uh, 14. Uh, let me actually just start back in verse 10. It says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, so of you know the Jewish sect, whose mouths must be stopped, 
who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, saying, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, implying that they are not sound in the faith, faith by their idle talk and subverting the truth. Verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. It is likely that the myths mentioned here in uh, 1 Timothy are the same kind of myths, the Jewish fables uh, that uh, Paul writes to Titus concerning. And so uh, probably the same kind of things. What exactly those fables were? Well, let me just put it this way. There's no reason to try to figure it out. <laughs> Paul says here, don't give heed to it. So why, do what we, why would we put our you know, attention and concern ourselves with you know, what exactly those fables were? They're unimportant. And that's Paul's point here, to not heed them, but rather to focus on sound doctrine. It is possible that some who were paying attention and heeding and you know, putting all their time and speculation into these myths and genealogies were the same ones who were spreading the false doctrine. For whatever reason, I see, you know, we see this today, people become far too interested in speculation of the unknown. It's like, you know, if you don't understand it, it just you know, captures your attention. You want to figure it all out and you know, understand it better, even though it's, you know, it's a mystery. And people spend far too much of their time interested in these kinds of unknowns and speculative thinking rather than showing interest in what is certain and factual, what is clearly laid out as the truth. Even if these genealogies and fables or myths were not untrue, this kind of speculative thinking and teaching can introduce false teaching into the church, especially if it becomes the basis of thinking and behavior in the church rather than the word of God being the basis of teaching and practice. Their interest in family genealogies and myths, which are man-centered, their interest in this may have been used by the false teachers to justify behaviors and practices in the church that were contrary to sound doctrine. Those same people are the type who pay heed to myths and, and such. Whether the people are you know, the same ones, the ones that are teaching false doctrine, or the same that are you know, giving heed to fables and endless genealogies, whether they're the same group of people or not, no one, whether false teacher or someone you know, observing, the one in the audience, should give credence to such myths and fables. Paul opposed this false teaching and attention upon myths. In genealogies, we see because of the devastating effects it produced and its distraction from what was most important in the life of the church. Let me say that again. The reason Paul opposes this is not simply, not, you know, it is because it's false doctrine, but also because the devastating effects that it produced. It led to divisiveness and disputes, and it distracted from what was most important in the life of the church. Paul says it right here. You know, he, he charges Timothy to instruct them not to teach other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. That's the problem. That is the result of allowing false teaching to infiltrate and become you know, the, the life and practice of the church. The false teaching promoted questions and controver- uh, controversies, disputes amongst the church. It divided the church rather than uniting it based on the one faith and one practice that we find in the word of God. The false teachers paid so close attention to um, what was 
not needing to be focused upon. This led to fruitless discussions and strife within the church. Even Titus, we saw, or Paul writing to Titus, we see that, that it led to uh, fruitlessness and strife. That is why it is so important that we stick to the text found in God's word, which is able to defend itself and is the rule for life and practice in the church. If someone comes to us, you know, and says, you know, why do you believe that? Why do you teach that? Well, it's not just our speculative thinking. It's not on the basis of a myth or a fable, which, you know, we heard or which was rumored about. We just point to the word of God and say, this is why we teach it, because it is found in the text of God's word. That is why we concern ourselves in these kind of settings where the teaching is being given with sticking to the Bible. You know, our common kind of motto is, if it's the Bible you want, come here to Fellowship Bible, because we stick to the Bible as our rule of faith and practice. When we gather to worship as the church, the center of attention is always to be the Word of God, and nothing should replace that focus. We should not be giving our attention and all of our interest and speculation to things other than the word of God. That's not what, you know, the, the two hours or so reserved on Sunday morning are for, or Sunday evening, or Wednesday evening, or any other kind of gathering. It's not to be speculating about, you know, these kind of things. It's not to be given over to, you know, the philosophy of the day, or, you know, te- uh, you know just teaching on, you know, the events of the day. Rather, our focus and our attention, our concern is for the teaching of the word of God. Why? Why is this our focus? Because of the purpose of sound teaching, which is rooted in godly edification, which is the result of sound teaching. When the word of God no longer is the central focus of the church, it creates a vacuum that Satan will joyfully fill with lies and disputes and controversy and deceit. If we don't make the word of God the central focus, it does create a vacuum. And Satan will willingly and joyfully and quickly fill that with what is not true. Using those from outside or even perhaps, unfortunately, those from within to promote their own kind of teaching and thoughts. The result of then irrelevant teaching contrasted the true edification that sprang from godly instruction. Timothy is to direct the church to avoid the bad teaching and bad results of such teaching so that God's work will be advanced in the world. Why was it so important? One, because for Timothy to charge them, one, because it was creating disputes, but also because it was distracting from what was most important, the teaching of God's word for the advance of his work, God's work, that is. When the focus became upon false teaching, concerning themselves with fables and endless genealogies, those things began to stunt the growth of God's work. They were truly a waste of time and energy and gathering for the church because they were not accomplishing what the purpose of the church and the gathering was for. What the church should be concerned with accomplishing when they gather is promoting the furtherance of God's administration in faith. We see this in verse 4. He says, you know, rather than godly edification, or some translations say, you know, the furtherance of God's administration, and, uh, we, you know, we won't get into the, the, you know, which one is it. Either way, really, the focus is that we should be uh, gathering and that sound doctrine is to be taught so that God's work would be accomplished around the world, both in a redemptive sense for those who are to be saved, but also for those who are saved, that they continue in godliness and maturity. This is something that the 
heterodox teaching of the false teachers' speculation could not accomplish. It could never accomplish the furtherance of God's administration and of his plan because it was not based upon the word of God. This applies not only to the initial saving faith of someone, but also the continual growth of the believer that is produced by right belief and teaching. We're not, you know, it's not simply that we're concerned that um, they were, you know, it was keeping them from evangelism and, you know, causing new converts, but it was also stunting the spiritual uh, growth and maturity of those who are already saved because they were not being fed the meat of God's word, which is necessary for right thinking and right practice. Instead of giving then much attention to fables and myths and genealogies, which do not produce godly edification, which do not further God's administration, they should have been giving their attention to what would produce godliness and the furtherance of God's redemptive plan. Um, let me turn to Second Peter just for a moment and read there in Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. It says this, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came, by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And what I want to draw our attention to is that uh, they are being called to do, or they are doing well when they give heed to the prophetic word which has been confirmed. That word heed is the same one used in 1 Timothy, but the focus is different. In 1 Timothy, the issue was their heedance, or their giving attention was to that which was false in which was myths and fables, rather than heeding or concerning themselves which, with the things which were true. Um, also in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, we see this concerning heeding that which is good. Hebrews 2, verse 1, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed, to the things which we heard, lest we drift away. That's the very problem that the church in Ephesus was having. They were not heeding that which was sound, the things which they had heard from the beginning. Therefore, they were drifting away and giving their attention to that which was not profitable. In fact, Paul goes on to say that God's plan of redemption is apprehended by faith, that of genuine believers, not by novel schemes or of interpretation. And with this word, and what is to follow here in 1 Timothy, Paul sets the beliefs and activities of the false teachers totally outside the bounds of true faith in Christ and service to God. And for this reason, Timothy was called upon to remain in Ephesus to oppose the false teaching taught by some. Now, I just want to close with you know some application of this these two verses for us. Um, I, I, from what I see and can tell, we don't have the kind of issue, at least at this moment, going on that the church in Ephesus was experiencing. And I might go as far to say, and I think I confidently can say, it's because of our desire and our aim to keep the word of God as the central focus of our gathering. And so my encouragement and my, my, my charge to us, not just myself, not just to pastor, but to all of us, is to keep that as the focus. When we no longer heed that instruction, that command, when we no longer heed the things which we've received through the apostles in the written word of God, we begin to drift away. And like we said earlier, it becomes harder 
and we can't become less discerning between what is right and wrong, what is true and what is error. And so may we learn from the lessons here of the church in Ephesus to keep the central focus of our gathering upon the word of God. And when we do that, it doesn't allow Satan as easily to fill that vacuum, and it allows us to continue to do the work that God has set forth for us to do. It allows godly edification to happen in the lives of the church, in the individual lives of the believers. It allows for the God's administration to continue on, for the church to grow, to be built up, when we keep the word of God as the focus. I pray that that is our desire and that we will be faithful to do that in the days and weeks and months ahead and that you as the listeners and, uh, and we as well listening to the word of God may keep one another accountable to this very fact. Let's close in a word of prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for these warnings in the form of a command, really, to Timothy to charge uh, those in Ephesus who were causing some to stumble, who were promoting speculative thinking, rather than giving attention to uh, the very purpose of their gathering, which was to, to uh, teach sound doctrine, which results in spiritual maturity, which results in salvation, which results in repentance of sin, and faith in Christ. Lord, may we be careful to heed that which we've received from your word and to be so concerned with those things that we have no time in this kind of setting to think on other things which would not be productive or health, healthy or beneficial to our growth. Lord, we thank you for those who have gathered this evening. Lord, may you uh, encourage their hearts as they go this week. And uh, may you protect them um, from, the, from the savage wolves, Lord, those who are seeking to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming this evening. Enjoy some fellowship. And uh, Pastor has the last word. I have a question for you. Um, <clears throat> do you have the dates on Acts 20 and the book of Ephesians? I was just struck by the fact that the church at Ephesus is a really central place in the New Testament. And you said, I think, 1 Timothy is written about 60? Uh, in the 60s. I didn't give oh, a specific, the okay, specific right. date. Oh, in the 60s. Okay, all right. So you're so. not sure on that. Oh, yeah. So 60s. Do you have the other dates offhand or no? I don't. Okay. Uh, but good homework that I can A little homework <laughs> for you, yeah. Because I find it interesting that he, w he was there and wrote to Ephesus and met them in Acts 20, and then they're, he's basically writing to the church again through Timothy. So yeah. quite a significant church. Thank you, Jansen. Yeah, thank you for that word. All right, you're dismissed. Thank you.